this new chapter in the history of our church. I thought it appropriate to speak on uh, this change, change of a name. Uh, this, the purpose is not so much to defend the decision to make a name change, but to uh, show you and show us as a church the confidence that we can have in God as we move forward uh, into the future, whatever might lie ahead together as God's people. Genesis chapter 32, verse 24 through 32 says this, Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. Now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Penuel, and he was limping on his thigh. Therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip, which is, in, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of the hip. This is God's word. The title of this message is From Jacob to Israel. The subtitle, as it were, is Finding Our Identity in God Alone. That's really what this is about. From Jacob to Israel, finding our identity in God alone. And that's the purpose this morning, is that we as a church and you as individual believers would find your identity in God alone. Who are we? Who are we? What are we here? We're viewed by the world as entertainment. One among many. We're viewed by many as one of many options for feeling good. We're viewed by the world as a social club. Or even more uh, with hostility, we're viewed as fools and bigots. But what does God say we are? Who does God say we are? You see, how you view the church greatly impacts uh, how you treat the church. If you think that this is one of many options or something entertaining to do on a Sunday morning or something uh, that you do for the sake of social well-being or interaction, 
or for the sake of family, if that's all you see this as, you will treat it as such. In 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, it says, you are a chosen race. That's who we are. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For for once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's who we are. Christ himself says in Matthew 16, 18, he promises, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We are Christ's church. That's what we are. The church is not an organization. It is a people. It is a gathering of those who have been called out by God to himself from the rest of the world. The church is marked by a number of things that we're going to be looking at in the next handful of weeks. But today, we want to remind ourselves we are God's people. That is our identity. You see, Jacob, he had forgotten who he was. He lost sight of God's promises, of God's grace. This short-sightedness had crippled crippled Jacob from moving forward in obedience to God. But here in this passage, God shows up in the middle of the night to remind Jacob who Jacob was and who God is. Jacob was sinful and weak, but God is powerful and he keeps his promises because he is full of grace. So we as God's people are those who are completely in reliance upon God's promises and his grace. Those are the two simple points this morning. Rely on God's promises. Rely on God's grace. First of all, it's clear from this passage that this man whom Jacob wrestled with was God. He's introduced in verse 24 as a man who wrestled with Jacob until daybreak. This man who who is wrestling with Jacob could not prevail against, or excuse me, not could not, but had not prevailed against Jacob. But yet at the same time, this man who wrestled with Jacob with a touch, with a simple touch, dislocated Jacob's hip. This man who wrestled with Jacob, Jacob himself asked for for him to bless him. Not only this, but this man has authority over Jacob because he changes his name. When Jacob asked him, this man, for his name, he doesn't give him his name because there is a difference between how God relates to us and he, how we relate to God. He is God, we are not. There are some things that are just one way, like authority. Not only this, 
But Jacob himself knew that this was God. In verse 30, he says that it says that he changed the name of the place from Jabbok to Peniel. Because I have seen God face to face, he says. So by the end of the night, it was clear this was God. And the author wants that tension, that mystery to remain until the reveal. Right? But we get to read it and we get to dissect the passage. And so we know, uh, standing back from this passage, this is God. Right from the start. We understand that. So why did God pick a fight with Jacob? We have to understand the historical context. All right? So get your nerd glasses and nerd mode on, your nerd hats. Let's go to Genesis 27. Briefly, I'm going to summarize and skip much detail because I'm not trying to exposit all of Genesis this morning. The context where we find our passage of Jacob wrestling with God and his name being changed is 20 years after Jacob had left home. The last time Jacob was home, the last time Jacob was there, he had ran off after stealing his brother's blessing. Genesis 27 records that account for us. Verse 1, it came about when Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see that he called his older son Esau and said to him, My son, he said to him, Here I am. Behold, now I am old and do not know the day of my death. Now then, please take your gear, your quiver, your bow, go out to the field and hunt game for me. Prepare a savory dish for me, such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, so that my soul may bless you before I die. See, God had given a blessing, a promise of his blessing to Abraham and to Isaac. And Isaac now wants to transfer this blessing to his son, Esau. However, mom gets in the middle and begins to meddle with the plan. Rebecca said to her son, I heard what your father is going to do. He's going to give your brother the blessing. And so she says, I'll make a dish. You make yourself smell and feel like your brother. And let's trick dad so that he'll give you, Jacob, the blessing instead of your brother Esau. Jacob goes along with this plan. And the blessing is given to Jacob instead of Esau. Verse 30, Genesis 27, 30. I told you we skip a lot of detail. It came about as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had hardly gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, that Esau his brother came in from his hunting. And he also made some savory food and brought it to his father and said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. He had no idea what was happening. Verse 32, Isaac, his father, had said to him, Who are you? And he said, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. 
And Isaac trembled violently, violently and said, Who was he then that hunted game and brought it to me so that I ate all of, all of it before you came and blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. You see? The blessing was stolen by deception. Jacob had taken what was not his. And so we see Esau's reaction, verse 34. Esau heard the words of his father, and he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even, even me also, O my father. And he said, Your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. I can't. I've already given it. Esau is enraged. And he vows to take Jacob's life. Jacob hears about it and runs. Verse 41 says, So Esau bore a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are near, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. So Jacob takes off. And the plan is to go to Uncle Laban's house for a few days. Well, a few days turns into 20 years. And back in chapter 32, after 20 years of actually God's carrying out his blessing upon Jacob, Jacob even though he is lied to and cheated and gets a taste of his own medicine from his uncle Laban, Jacob is super successful. Jacob now returns home because God told him to. This is a matter of obedience. God tells him, go back home. Go back home. Jacob is still afraid. Look at verse 3. Genesis 32, verse 3. Jacob's on his way back home to Esau. He knows he has to face the music, right? Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He also commanded them, saying, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen and donkeys and flock and male and female servants, and I have sent... Uh, to tell my, my Lord that I might find favor in your sight. Now, verse 6. The messengers returned back to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and furthermore he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. So Jacob's coming back home. He knows that last he, he, he saw Esau, there was a grudge. The last he heard of Esau, Esau wanted to kill him because he stole his blessing. Now he's coming back home and he says, well, maybe I can bribe his favor. Maybe I can, can buy his, his love back and, and calm him down so he doesn't kill me. But then his servants come back with a message and it's not, we found Esau and he really liked the presents that you gave him. It's Esau is actually on his way to you. 
and he's bringing 400 men with him. You can imagine the fear. Verse 7, Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. Now, what did he do? In his fear and in his distress, what does he do in verses 18? Or excuse me, uh, in his fear and distress, he says, here's what I'll do. I'm going to divide up all of my people, all of my property, all of my possessions. I'll divide it up into different groups. So that if Esau comes and he attacks us with his 400 men, if he attacks one group, at least the other group is left alive. And it won't be a total loss when Esau takes his wrath out on me. So he plans. Not only does he plan, but he prays. He prays out, uh, cries out to God in verse 9. Jacob said, O God, my father, Abraham... God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your relatives and I will prosper you. See, he's, he's, he's recalling God's command. He says, you told me to do this. What's going on? Verse 10, I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and of all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. For with my staff only I crossed this Jordan and now I have, come, I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he will come and attack me and the mothers with the children. And he recalls God's promise. For you said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as a sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. God, you said, you made a promise. And you told me to obey you and go back home. You said you would bless me. And you gave me this, this, this blessing that was given to, to, to my grandfather and to my father, Abraham and Isaac. What's going on, God? Protect me, please. I've got to step in here. I can't stand up to these 400 men of Esau. It's a good prayer. But notice, that's not all he does. He doesn't just pray and trust. He prays and then makes a safety net. He spent the night there, verse 13. And essentially what he does, he divides up his people. He divides it into small groups. And he commanded the one in front, saying in verse 17, When my brother Esau meets you and asks you, saying, To whom do you belong and where are you going? To whom do these animals in front of you belong? Then you shall say, This belongs to your servant Jacob. It's a present to, sent uh, to my lord Esau. And behold, he is also is behind us. And so what Jacob does is he creates these multiple groups of people with multiple groups of possessions. And he says, okay, when you first meet Esau, if he kills you, sorry, but you know, try and uh, earn his favor. Try and you know, uh, purchase his, his uh, favor so that he won't kill me. And if that doesn't work, maybe the next group will. If that doesn't work, then maybe the next group will. If that doesn't work, maybe the next group will. And where's Esau? Or excuse me, where's Jacob? Verse 22. Now he arose, 
that same night took his two wives, his two maids, and his 11 children. That's another topic for another time. And crossed the ford, crossed the river of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream. And he sent across whatever he had. And then Jacob was left alone. He stayed behind. This is further proven. Verses 18 to 20, he says, you know, tell Esau that Jacob is behind us in verse 18. In verse 20, behold, your servant Jacob is also behind us, behind us. This is where Jacob stayed, in the back, not in the front, not leading. Jacob was afraid. Even though God had promised him that he would bless him and protect him, even though God even commanded him to go back home, Jacob still doubted. And we see it in his plan. So, what happens? God shows up and he deals with Jacob. So, why? Why did God wrestle with Jacob. It says, verse 24, Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him. Notice it's not Jacob wrestled with God. It's not what's going on. God started it. Why? Well, the clue is in what we've been looking at that Jacob is behind compared to the change. Look at chapter 33. Genesis 33, Jacob lifted his eyes, verse 1, and looked, and behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. It's D-Day. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids, and he put the maids and their children in front, and Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. So it seems like, there he goes again. Where is he going to end up? Verse 3, but he himself pass on ahead of them. See the change? Something happened that night that changed Jacob from being in the back to being in the front of the pack. What changed with Jacob? It's not just that his name was changed that night. It's not just that he had a limp for the rest of his life because of that night. No. From falling behind in fear to leading the charge. Notice the circumstances didn't change. It's still Esau. It's still the 400 men. What changed was Jacob. He had courage. He had confidence. Where did this come from? The promises of God. So why did God start this wrestling? It's because Jacob wasn't fully trusting in God's promise. He wasn't relying on God's promises. That's why God deals with his people at times. Because we're not trusting him. Has God dealt with you before? Has he, has he disciplined you as a, as a father does a son? 
I trust he has. If you're his child, he has. If it seems like he's left you alone, that probably means you're not his child. If you haven't felt the discipline of God, the loving hand of God dealing with you in your life. We need to trust God as a church. Matthew 16, 18. Christ gives us this promise. Upon this rock, I will build my church. What rock? The rock solid statement, as it were, of verse 16. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. So upon this rock, the declaration that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, upon him and the preaching and teaching of him, the right understanding of him and his gospel, that he is the Messiah, come to take away the sins of the world. Upon that rock, Christ says, I will build my church. And you know what? The gates of hell won't prevail against it. The gates of Hades will not overpower Christ's work of building his church. So like Jacob, Jesus demands that we as a church have faith in this promise or else he will deal with us. We need to have faith in Christ's promise to build and to guard his church. Even when we teach doctrines that are not pleasant or popular. Even when we teach the doctrines of creation and sin and judgment and forgiveness. Even when we stand for truth in love, but stand for truth. Not giving in to woke theology, easy believism, open theism, or gender fluidity. Nothing can challenge the word of God. His word is truth. And he says, you need to stand for my truth. That is the central mark of the church. The pillar and support of the truth, it says. That's what we are. We are here to make disciples. We are here to uphold the truth of God. We need to have faith that God will build his church and that he'll protect us from the enemy. We need to have faith that he will make an unpopular gospel irresistible to the sinner. Do you believe that? That this gospel that is so offensive can become irresistible and beautiful in the sight of a sinner? Only God can do that. That's how he builds his church. We need to have faith and rely on God's promises. So Redeemer Church, Redeemer Bible Church, rely on God's promises. Second, rely on God's grace. Rely on God's grace. Now we're going to go through the passage, okay? And it's going to be quick. We're going to shed some light on this mysterious text because it is a mysterious text. Some of the commentaries that I was reading as I was studying start off their, their, their uh, explanation of the passage. This is a mysterious passage. <laughs> I'm studying, and I'm like, well, thanks. 
It is a mysterious text, but we're going to shed some light by God's grace. Verse 24, God wrestles with Jacob, who is alone. Now, why at night? Well, why wrestle with Jacob at night? Well, it's because God doesn't want Jacob to see him, because no man can see God and live. He wants this to be shrouded in mystery. That's why he tells him, let me go, the day is dawning. Because he wants this shroud of mystery, this, 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 he wants this night to be in an encounter with God that is unmistakable. He doesn't want the light to shine, the sun to shine on him to make it just like any other day. Verse 25. When he saw, that is God, when God saw that he had not prevailed against Jacob, God touched the so- I'm, I'm replacing the words there if you didn't notice. God touched the socket of Jacob's thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. God didn't prevail against Jacob, not because Jacob was too strong, even though he was a strong man, his life was marked by strength. And it seems like that's a reason why he chose this kind of encounter, this physical encounter, because Jacob put a lot of weight on his physical strength and abilities. But God didn't uh, prevail against Jacob, and it's not because Jacob was so strong or mighty, but because God spared him. Look at verse 30. I have seen God's face, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. Another way of translating that is my life was spared. God spared my life. God preserved me through the night. And God proves that, that he could have taken Jacob out at any moment by just touching his thigh, touching his thigh and dislocating his hip. God proved he wants there to be no mistake. And it seems like that may be the time that the light bulb turned on for Jacob and said, this is not just some man that I'm wrestling. I have felt his power. Verse 26. Then God said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. As morning dawned, God told Jacob to let him go. And Jacob, of course, by this time understands this is God. So what does he do? He insists that God bless him. That's his response. To bless is to endow with success. To to, uh, give or hand over or infuse somebody with the gift of good things like prosperity, long life, fruitfulness. That's the general understanding of to bless somebody. Now, the context here is that the blessing is deliverance from Esau and his 400 men. Give me success with that. Because that's what I'm facing right now. So in his asking for God's blessing, it's not just this general thing. It's bless me with success against this struggle that I'm about to go into. You see. Now, here's the main part. The blessing comes in the changing of his name. Verse 27 
through 29. So God said to Jacob, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. He said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Jacob tries. Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it you ask my name? So he blessed him there. God asked Jacob his name. He knew his name, right? Jacob has to own up to his name. The name Jacob means supplanter, deceiver. That is somebody who takes what they want by force. To take somebody's place by force. That's what supplanter means. His own name points to Jacob's selfishness and willingness to act sinfully in order to succeed. That's his name. So that's why God says, what's her name again? Deceiver? Supplanter? One who is willing to sin to get what he needs? One is, who is willing to disobey me to save his skin? Oh yeah, that's right. That's who you are. He reminds him of Genesis 27 that we looked at. Where he stole his blessing. There, Jacob lied. He cheated. He stole the blessing of God. And how different that blessing is from this one. How, different, how differently Jacob sought that blessing from this one. That first time, Jacob got the blessing and sought the blessing by sin, by deception, by any means necessary, even sin. Here, what does Jacob do to get the blessing? He simply asks. He simply asks. Jacob is pleading for God's blessing. Hosea 12, 4 recalls this event. And it says there in Hosea 12, 4 that Jacob wept, he cried, and he begged for God's favor. So it wasn't a simple asking. He wept and he begged God, bless me, please. How different this man has become. This is exactly where God wanted this man. This is exactly what God wanted from Jacob. For him to be in complete reliance upon God's grace to bless. After all, that's why God injured Jacob's hip, right? If you think about it. Why did he have to do that? So that, he, so that Jacob couldn't say, I got the blessing because I out-wrestled God. That's why God injured his hip, to make it clear, I'm giving you this blessing because I'm gracious. And that's why the Lord renamed his name from Jacob to Israel. Israel means God strives, God fights. It all circles around this idea of the blessing. Before, Jacob the deceiver stole the blessing by sin. Now... Israel 
the one whom God fights for, the only way this man can find blessing is if God gives it to him and fights on his behalf. The only way that Israel now can have success with Esau and the 400 men is if God fights for him. Not by Jacob's strength. Not by Israel's strength. Jacob knows that he received the blessing by grace alone. Look at verse 30. So Jacob named the place Peniel. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. He knows the only way I made it out of this alive was by the grace of God. And I'm going to rename this, this place to memorialize that fact. I, God, I saw God face to face and my life was spared. Jacob wasn't stronger than this man. He wasn't stronger than, than God. Rather, this man, the God of all grace, is the one who preserved Jacob's life through the night. That's the reality. So who are we? Who was Jacob? See, God, or excuse me, Jacob had forgotten who he was. He forgot God's promises. He forgot God's grace. He forgot that if he is to have any success, it comes from God's hand alone. Christian, church, God wants us to completely rely on his promises and his grace. He wants us to remember that we rely on him alone. Look at verse 31, 32. The sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Penuel, and he was limping on his thigh. Therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of the hip. In our tradition, why does Jacob, now Israel, live the rest of his life with a limp? Why is there this tradition? It's not law, but it's tradition that the Old Testament Israelites had to not eat the sinew of the thigh. Why? For them to remember and never forget the promises and the grace of God. That wherever they went, God fought for them. That was their name. That was the name of, of the nation. God fights. That's a, that's a good name for a nation. God fights. That might be a good name for the church. God fights. But we'll go with Redeemer Bible Church. That's all right. Jacob lived the rest of his life with a limp. The nation of Israel kept this tradition all so that they would not forget God. God showed up in the middle of that night to remind Jacob, to remind us who we are and who he is. We are sinful. We are weak. God is powerful and he keeps his promises because he's full of grace. So, Redeemer Bible Church, 
If we are to have any success as a local church, it must be in complete reliance upon God's promises and His grace. This new name, Redeemer Bible Church, is intentional. It is meant to ground our identity in the finished redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So as you tell people where you go to church, as you drive in here, and one day, by God's grace, we change that sign out front. As you are reminded, wherever it might be, the name of this church, remember your identity. You are the redeemed. Remember who you are, church. You are those whom God has redeemed from sin and death. And you are those who walk by the light of God's word. Redeemer, Bible, church. May God be with us. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we ask, Lord, for your blessing. We know that Nothing will happen here outside of your powerful work. It's not going to be by our might. We're not going to have any success, whatever that, however that might pan out. It's not going to go our way, as it were, because we're so good. Because of our skill, because of our ability, because of, of, of our resources. None of it, Lord. It has to come from you. And so we ask, God, that you would bless us. Shine your favor upon this church, God. Grow us, change us into the image of Christ as individuals. Heal our broken hearts, God. Heal our marriages. Have victory over our children. Change their hearts to... To see and behold you for who you really are. Bring in the lost and change them into worshipers, God. That's success. None of it is possible without you. A bigger building, a new parking lot, none, that's not success. Lord, we, we need you to bless. And Lord, we look to you alone for that. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to be with us as we remember Jesus Christ, the one who bought us, who established his church by his blood on the cross. We pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians 11. We're going to take the Lord's Supper And we need to remember...